Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We are so blessed that you're joining us. We all have obstacles in life, hard times in life that Usually it's things of our own making. Stephen Snook's first memory of life were in Virginia, foster care, before being taken to his then new home in Danville, Illinois. He grew up there in extreme poverty over the course of his upbringing. By the age of 15, he was involved with drugs. After turning 19, he was transporting marijuana from South Texas to Central Illinois. By age 26, he was arrested by the DEA for smuggling cocaine and sentenced to 22 years in a federal prison system. And over the course of that time, he has transferred to eight different federal facilities across Florida, North Carolina, Virginia. And that included time in solitary confinement, serving one time an entire year in solitary during one time. Most people, that would sound like harsh punishment. But Stephen says that for him, it turned into a God-given opportunity. Two years prior to his release, he recounts a series of vivid dreams. In them, he says God showed him frames with rotating images of Scripture inside hanging on the walls of homes. Now, I'll let him share with us now the rest of the story about what has become known as Rafa Frames. Help me welcome to the program, Stephen Snook. Stephen, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I have been excited about having this interview with you since the first time you reached out to me. Welcome to the program, brother. Thank you, Bob. I'm pumped up. Amen. Amen. The <laughs> first question I always start with, though, is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Stephen Snook? Oh, man. I'm a spirit-filled believer, brother. I'm a child of the king. Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump to the beginning then. Raised the first part of your life in an orphanage. Then you were moved to Illinois. Were you adopted or foster cared out to a family? How did you end up in Illinois? Well, I was born when I when I was born, my mother was 15 years old. Um, and I already had an older brother. So I was her second child. And my brother and I actually had two different fathers. Um, and eventually I was taken out of foster care and brought to Illinois by my brother's father's sister. So which would essentially be my aunt, but not really my aunt, you know, so I was I was adopted by a family that wasn't really my family at all. Um, but my aunt, just just a true, uh, true, very true hearted woman, um, very little education, married very badly, but she had a, a beautiful heart and she wanted to keep the two brothers together. Amen. OK. All right. And what was life like then? Well, when when she took us in, she was married to one man who was in the military and he was an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, uh, I can remember being about five years old and sitting on her lap one day. And for no particular reason, he just walked right across the house and punched her right in the face. Mm. Um, she ended up divorcing that man. And then she married another man who would essentially become my father figure in life. He was ex-military. He was a severe alcoholic. 
Um, he was a boxer in the military and he just, he, there was no love in that house, you know, and, and I don't put that blame on her. She just married badly. She only had a sixth grade education. She was a waitress. So we were raised on a waitress's salary, mm. uh, just very, very poor. And, um, you know, when, when you're living in that environment where you are in abject poverty, very, very poor, and then you come home and somebody might beat you up that day, or you may get abused in some other way that day with no love. Um, a lot of times that story kinds of, it, it ends up like mine did 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that led you out to the streets. It did. You know, by the time I was 15, um, I was already selling drugs for a living. You know, my brother, he ran away. Um, it was just, it was a better option for him to run away than to live the way that we lived. Yeah. So yeah, at 15, I started selling, um, you know, start out like everybody with marijuana just to make some money. I started, to, I went to live on my own. My brother ends up coming back from his uh, year hiatus and um, I go uh, and just start selling drugs full time, taking care of my brother, his girlfriend, my girlfriend. And by the time I was 19, brother, I was just a full-fledged drug trafficker. I mean, mm -hmm. I would, I would travel over to Indianapolis International get on an airplane by myself or pay somebody to fly with me, fly to the Mexican border and uh, just pick up loads of drugs or, or uh, coordinate the trafficking of those drugs back into the Midwest. I was doing that at 19. That's wow. where I caught my first case actually was in McAllen, Texas at 19 years old. I got arrested there. Mm. Okay. And then when did DEA and all that get involved with this? Well, well, what happened was I had a series of just criminal activity. Once I got caught there at, at 19, um, there were various other states that, of course, were involved in my criminal activity. Um, so I ended up having to go to jail um, in Virginia and, and Indiana, Ohio, um, Virginia, just, you know, just everywhere. Um, and, you know, so my life of crime didn't stop, though. After I was released from jail, it just didn't stop. You know, I got back into the drug business. It's what I knew. Mm -hmm. You know, so I had criminal convictions over a wide range of categories, everything from drug trafficking to grand larceny, um, every form of, of criminal involvement. I had a 17-year-old girlfriend when I was 21. I just I was a a, a leader among criminals at a very young age. Yeah. Um, and, and I attest a lot of that. Being able to be a leader like that and being respected across all races, whether I was dealing with Mexicans or black or whatever the race may be, um, you know, they they had to respect me in the criminal world because I was raised without love in my home. I do, I commanded that respect when I walked into a room. And so that's kind of how my life um, unfolded there. When I got out of prison the first time at 24, I went right back into the cocaine business, Bob. I, I started you know, trafficking cocaine. And when I turned 26, I got arrested by the, the DEA and the FBI. Amen. Amen. And then that led to some federal time. And federal time means no early release, right? Well, so, you're going to do 85% of that. So in 22 years, I was going to do at least 19. Yeah, um, right. and, and, you know, and this is where God comes in, you know. So here you have a man that's been to prison before, that's been raised as a, a criminal. The government has charged him as a career criminal. Now, on that case, as big as the cocaine trafficking case was, only had one co-defendant because I refused to, to tell on anyone. I refused to co cooperate with the government. Mm -hmm. So my one co-defendant was my wife. Mm -hmm. I had a 22-year-old wife. I was 26. She was 22. We had a young son. And, uh, you know, one of the strategies that's used sometimes is, hey, man, you're going to tell us 
or we're going to prosecute your family. We believe that they have some information. And um, I did everything that I could to shield her. I told that federal judge, Your Honor, I know why I'm here. I mean, it's in my sentencing transcripts. I told the judge at my sentencing, I said, I know why I'm here. I'm a criminal. But I don't know why she's over there because she hasn't done anything. And, you know, the judge was sympathetic to the words that I said, Bob. He really was. And he said, there's nothing I could do because at that time in 2003, the federal guidelines were mandatory, just full of mandatory minimum sentences. The judge had no discretion. And once the prosecutor filed and they were able to get a grand jury indictment, she was going to prison for two years. So what happened to your son at that time? Well, my son ended up going to live with his grandmother and, um, you know, he's grown now. Obviously, he's yeah. grown and we're really yeah. tight, but yeah. his life wasn't uh, wasn't always the greatest just because, you know, he grew up without a father his whole life. Now, when his mother was released about on that year that she got, I mean, the two years she got, she served about a year and she got back into his life. Um, okay. Yeah. Amen. So share with us what your life was like in the prison system since you spent so much time in solitary. I take it there were some issues. Well, Bob, I take you know I'd done I'd already done three years, and I'd been in some very uh, violent places where violent things happen. Um, in my federal sentence, this was going to be a different world, and and the reason is is because of Jesus. Okay, so without without talking about what Jesus has done and what He does, my story is just a different story. It's just a completely different life and a completely different story. Um, about six months into my federal sentence, I was doing what I always knew how to do, you know, going to prison in my line of work was the cost of doing business. It was just part of it. So it didn't bother me. You know, I was doing my normal thing, my workout, my my gang banging, my normal everyday life. Um, about about six months in, I sent my youngest brother on a mission to collect some drug debts that were owed. It just, you know, so so much a part of my life, those type of things that, you know, I didn't think twice about it. And when I called home about a week later, they asked me, um, have you been watching the news? And I said, well, no, I, I haven't been watching the news. They said, well, your brother was in a, a horrible car accident um, in a carload uh, uh, with a carload of guys. They were throwing pistols out of the out of the vehicle, fleeing from the police from a shooting. Mm. He's on life support. Wow. Now, I was the reason he was in that vehicle, Bob. I sent him on that mission. Mm -hmm. And it was right then, brother. It was at that moment when I put that phone down, went into that prison cell and hit my knees. And that's when I gave my life to Jesus. Amen. 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 Completely unchurched. I'd probably only been to church three or four times my entire life. But being from America, you hear about Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a church on every corner. And at that moment, I realized that I had destroyed every life that had been around me. Uh, my wife is going to prison. My brother is in the hospital dying and who knows how many lives I destroyed. And I, and I, and I hurt through my years and years and years of trafficking drugs. Yeah. And I just, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll give you every breath I've got. I will give you my whole life. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And I need you to please save my brother's life. Lord, I cannot carry that burden the rest of my life. And I'll give you every breath that I have. And Bob, I'll tell you what, it wasn't very long after that prayer that the Holy Spirit whispered to me, that voice that we now recognize, because, you know, this is 20 years ago. So we've grown up in the Lord and we recognize that voice now. Back then, I'd never heard that voice. Right. right. And he whispered to me and he said, tomorrow, you're going to start reading the Bible and you're not going to eat. 
So here's a man in prison going to get 22 years, has never read the Bible, doesn't own a Bible, doesn't know anything about fasting, never heard of it, never seen anybody do it. And just borrowed a Bible, man, from an old black fellow down the hall. I knew he had one. He had one of them great big giant family version, King James, straight King James, old school. And I said, Pop, can I borrow that Bible? He said, yeah, you can borrow. He didn't know why I would want to borrow it. You know what I mean? My my unit was just gambling and music and and working out. And, you know, I was part of all that. I took that Bible, Bob. I went into that cell. And when I came out 11 days later, I was a different man, brother. God. Amen. Amen. What did all the other inmates around you think about these changes in you? I'm going to tell you what happened. And this is is one of the incredible things that God has continued to do in my life. That is just remarkable. And, and so many men have been witnesses to it and have been part of it. And it's affected their life that I just praise Jesus for it. Because what started to happen right there transferred with me to every federal prison that I went to. That fire fell in that cell. I got so full of God in that cell. That within a month, we were having Bible study. I was having Bible study with the vice lords and the GDs in my cell. Wow. That unit that only had one television that was always on BET on the rap videos, we started watching the Trinity Broadcast Network. <laughs> Brother, on my Amen. word of honor, Amen. I'm sitting in the unit with a bunch of gang members. We're watching Kenneth Copeland. Amen. We're watching Billy Brim. We're watching there's what is going on. The cops will walk by and say, What happened in here? Man, I'm talking about it was incredible. And that was that that was in 2003. And that's when it just started, brother. Amen. Amen. So did your family ever attend church growing up at all? Or did you have any exposure to this stuff before? We did not, man. It was not part of our life. My uncle was a severe violent alcoholic, brother, to the point where, you know, people talk about abuse and things like that. And it's all tragic and it's all bad. You know, and but and there's different levels of that, too, that affects the the psyche. I would walk in the house. My uncle might shoot a shotgun off in the front room of the home. Mm. It's that type of, you know, that type of upbringing is what you had. So, like I said, I'd probably been there about three or four times um, in my life. He did have moments of sobriety from time to time where he was a decent man, but he just couldn't beat those demons. He was dead from alcoholism by the time he was 42 years old. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And I loved him. I loved yeah. him, man. He was like my father. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the things that I learned in my young life, I learned from him. Mm-hmm. Bad and good. Yeah. And, and, you know, most of it was bad. Yeah. Amen. But in prison, you became the basically the go to guy if someone had questions about faith and Jesus or needed prayer and stuff like that. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, what happened was in 2004. Um, I was in prison in federal prison in Florida because they can just ship you anywhere, especially when you don't cooperate with the government. That's part of the sentence, too. They'll ship you a thousand miles away from home. They don't care. And uh, and I'm not bashing. I'm not anti anything. I deserve the 22 years I got, brother. I was a, I was a criminal. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, I was down there and um, I'd come across a scripture in the Bible there in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, at this time, I'd been born again for a year. Um, and was on fire for Jesus. But when I come across that scripture, man, let me tell you, brother, something happened. And and I think I mentioned this to you in, in our pre-interview that I got the letter from the Kenneth Copeland Ministries, you know, and looking in there and going through those scriptures where they were talking about the Holy Spirit, cross-references with my Bible, went to my buddy's house. And I said, look, I'm praying for this, brother. This belongs to me. I'm a child of God. And I prayed as bold as any man's ever prayed. I actually told Jesus, I said, I demand it. 
as your son, I demand to receive the Holy Spirit because you said right here in your word, I'm unchurched. I don't know what goes on in church. I know that the Bible's true and I believe it. I know it's the greatest love letter ever written and the words that is in there is his words. And I pray just like that, brother. And I'll tell you what, the very next day. Now, when I get done with that prayer, nothing happens, but I don't really know nothing's supposed to happen. Right. The right. very next day, I'm walking out in front of his cell. My entire units went to wreck or, or went to chow. We're waiting to go to chow. I'm waiting on him to get ready. And I'm walking out there and that still small voice said, now open your mouth and let it go. And I just opened my mouth and it got the bubbling in my stomach like it does and just went woo, like a volcano came out through my chest where I was playing it. I, tongues was coming out of me so fast that I couldn't get I couldn't pronounce. The, you know, you couldn't even form the syllables. It's just <laughs> flying out of me. Man, this went on and on and on. I went straight to my cell, shut the door, just let it fly. It was the greatest event in my life. It was greater than my children being born. You know what I mean? It was incredible. First words I spoke in English, Bob, after that happened, after I got done, I, I, I calmed myself down. I didn't even want to. Yeah. But, but the Lord had given me a revelation. I pointed right up to the ceiling of that prison cell. And I said, Jesus, I knew you was there because I did know it because I was saved. Yeah. But at that moment, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was over with. Yeah. You couldn't stop me, brother. It yeah. was the, it was on. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We didn't go into my story and my, my listeners have heard it before, so I'm not going to elaborate on it, but we had some problems going on and basically I was going to commit suicide. I'd already decided to do it. And, uh, and I was living away from the family, trying to make some money and stuff. And, uh, my wife had talked, I talked to her before going to bed and my bed was just sleeping on the carpet. I didn't have a bed in this little dumpy apartment I was in. And, you know, she was like, you know, they're good. Got a note on the door. To turn the lights off. Got a note on the door. They're going to foreclose the house. You know, I don't have any money to buy kids food and all that. What are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I'll figure it out. So I'm in there and I'm, I wasn't born again. Yeah. I was not born again at the time. It was 1992, but she had forced me to take my grandfather's Bible with me on this trip. So there was no television or anything. It was a little dumpy apartment. I'm trying to make a living on. So the only thing I had was a TV table and a computer and a chair. And then I slept on the floor, right? And nothing to do. So I just read the Bible. That's what I was doing. And in the front of the Bible was a way to read the Bible through in a year, three different ways. And I'd read two of the columns in the morning and one at night before I go to sleep, just for something to do. And after I got done talking with her, you know, I was crying and I said, God, if you're real, you know, you, you gotta, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. And about that time, the devil whispered in my ear, your life insurance policy is still paid up. I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That way they can take the money, they pay off of the bills. She could pay off the house, she'll have money left over to take care of her and the kids, and they'll know how much I love them. Done. Done deal. That's what we're going to do. But I wanted to tell my kids one more time that I loved them. It was 1130 at night. So I said, well, let me, I'll just, Wake up in the morning, call them before they go to school, and that'll be it. It'll be here, so they won't have to see the mess or any of that stuff. Done deal. Lay down. And it had that peace, like they talk about it, that peace that comes over them. It's people contemplating suicide, they, all of a sudden they'll have a peace come over. I had that peace. I was like, what, that's what I'm going to do. And the light shined through the Venetian blinds onto the Bible as, oh, I forgot to read my scripture for tonight. I guess if I'm going to meet God in a few hours, it'd be a good thing to tell him I was reading his word. Right? <laughs> so I said, I got up, 
the scripture I was supposed to read that night was Psalms 34. And got down, verse 7 said, The Lord has heard this poor man cry and shall deliver him from all his troubles. And when I read that verse, it like the whole room just lit up. And I felt like that warm oil just flow all over me. And my hands were up. And I started speaking in tongues, crying, laughing, speaking in tongues, <laughs> crying, laughing. And I knew what happened right there. I was born again right there. My wife was born again four years before I was. She was praying for me every day. And oh, I just refused man. it, you know. And I said, I got to call my wife. So I called her up. She was crying. I said, I'm coming home. We can be just as broke at home as I can be in here, you know. And that was January 25th, 1992 at 1135 p.m. Eastern time in a little empty apartment in Columbus, Georgia. I can take you there today where it's at, right? Mm. I know I was born again that day. And uh, yeah. nobody can talk me out of that. Well, between January 25th and January 30th, I sold enough life insurance to catch up the bills at home and the pay the bills in Georgia not pay them off at home, but at least where they weren't going to foreclose the house and all that stuff. God was coming through, you know, and, and 1995, you know, I told him, I said, if you take care of this, I'll be a preacher for, I don't care, but I'm done. Right. And then all this stuff happened. 1995, when he called me into the ministry through Ezekiel chapter two and three, I argued with him for six months. No, 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 no. You, you, you're making a mistake. I know you're perfect, but you're making a mistake on this one. You know the life I lived, <laughs> you know, type thing, right? And then uh, Jesus said, "Did you lie to me?" I said, "Lie? No, I never lied to you." And he replayed that night where I was crying out and said, "I'll be a preacher for it. I don't care if you can yeah. fix this." You know? And I said, "So did you lie to me?" Said, no. <laughs> you know, real humble like right? he says so i said okay lord i'll do it and we've been going strong ever since praise god but i know when you said yeah, i know what you experienced yeah, i know what you experienced awesome. praise god awesome. you know bob you got them you, holy ghost bumps all over me right now you, praise man god. it's gonna happen i would not be surprised in the least if the fire falls in this interview hey, it's happening it's happening to a couple of my interviews already where we've had to stop the interview <laughs> i'm not it's 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 bound to happen Amen. I got to say here that you touched on something right there about your wife praying for you for four years. Mm -hmm. And later on in my ministry inside of prison, specifically after I'd spent a, a tremendous amount of time in intense prayer and fasting, where I would fast four, five, seven days and just pray in tongues, two, three, five hours a day sometimes for weeks at a time. One of the things that began to happen is God would bring men into my path. And he would do this through supernatural means. Sometimes he would give me a specific word of knowledge for a man that I didn't even know. And it would just, it would blow his mind and he would give his life to the Lord. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I would always ask these men is, is it possible that there's somebody out there in the world right now that's praying for you? And every time, Bob, they'd say, you know what? My grandmother's praying for me or my mother's praying for me. I can remember one instance I'd been getting words of knowledge on a regular basis. I was just living the life I told you, just intense prayer and fasting. Nothing else mattered. And it was happening so frequently that I would take one of these little yellow sticky papers and I would write down what the Lord showed me. Yeah. Um, and in this instance, it was a it was a name. And I wrote the name down. I handed it to my neighbor next door. I couldn't walk out of my cell. This time we were in solitary confinement, just bars in front of the cell. So I just handed it to my neighbor, big skinhead fella. 
tattoos everywhere, but he knows what's going on. I mean, he's been hearing me preach the word every night, screaming out through the bars. These guys are getting born again. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's doing it. And I hand him the name. The next day, they bring two gang members out in down through the unit. Wasn't there before. Brought him into the unit. They was from Chicago. And one of the guys got down at the end. I just hollered down there, man. I said, hey, man, if you don't mind me asking, what's your name? And he hollered back down there and gave me his nickname. And I said, no, I said, look, man, I'm a Christian, man. I'm a real one. I'm not on nothing down here. I, you know, this ain't about no, no problems, but can you tell me what your real name is? He said, my name's Fernando. At that moment, my neighbor lost it because that was the name that was on that paper that I gave to him. Okay. Amen. Yeah. So I told him, I said, brother, I don't know what's going on, but I know the Lord Jesus is trying to get your attention, man. I got your name down here on a piece of paper. My neighbor's holding it. About that time, the other Latin gang member that they had down there with them, they both Latin kings. He said, man, that's crazy because it was just the other day that you was telling me how lost you felt. Mm. So this really scared the other gang member that's name is on that paper. He said, look, I don't want to holler about this. I don't want people listening to this. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it anymore. I said, look, just write me a letter, man. Send it down here. Throw it down here with a little string or something. And, and you know, we'll, we'll figure this thing out. And he wrote me a letter. He said, man, that's crazy, man. He said, you know, what is this? And I wrote him. I said, look, man, I'm a servant of Jesus, man. Jesus is my king, man. And he gave me a word for you and he's trying to reach you. And I asked him, I said, is it possible somebody's out there praying for you? And I threw a letter back down. He wrote me back, Bob. And he said, my mother's been praying for me real hard, man. My brother just got murdered in Chicago. Mm. I said, well, that's what this is, brother. And this is how you do it. Got it. Got born again. Got born again. This was one of the guys that I started. I said, look, we got to get you some subscriptions. We got to build you up while you're back here. So we got some yeah. subscriptions to Kenneth Hagen magazine, Kenneth yeah. Copeland magazines. And man, the man left the the man left solitary confinement. He come in there, a hardcore gang member out of Chicago, walked out of solitary confinement, born again, man of God. Praise God. Amen. Only Jesus can Amen. do that, brother. Yeah, you know, we've talked about me attending Jerry Savelle Bible School. And uh, the first day of school, I pull in the parking lot. I get out and, they, you know, there's half a dozen second year students out there greeting the newbies coming in. Right. Mm -hmm. And this one guy, I mean, he looked every bit of a biker. I mean, the long hair, the scraggly beard, the blue jean vest, and patches all over it. And I mean, he looked scary. Right. And I walk up, go, oh, you know, brother, give me a great big old bear hug. Right. His name was Bear Morgan. And that was. <laughs> Bear Morgan was convicted of murder, sent to, uh, oh, what's the name of that prison in Yakima, Washington? But uh, it's up in, it's famous up there. It's a hardcore, it's one of them like San Quentin type deals, but it's up in Washington. Yeah. And uh, uh, they just threw the key away. He was never getting out. You know, a couple of consecutive life terms type thing, right? God, if I ever get out of here, I'll be a preacher for you to the day I die. You know, type of thing. Well, one of the sentences was commuted. And the other one, he was eligible for patrol, parole. He got out at 12 years. And when he got out, they took a bus. Kenneth Copeland, same thing you're talking about, you know, in the ministry. Kenneth Copeland is holding his motorcycle rally in Fort Worth, Texas. They took a bus down to Fort Worth, didn't have anywhere to stay. They just slept out on the ground, right? But he was at that meeting and stuff, and that started his ministry. 
right there. Wow, and, uh, that's beautiful, man. He heard Jerry Savelle was having a, a, a starting a Bible school, so he went over and, and talked to the dean. Said, I ain't got no money. I ain't got a job yet, but I believe God's going to provide, you know. But I want to go to the Bible school. And they said, okay, come on in, you know, pay when you can type thing. We just believe God within, before the school started, he had the money. You know, type That's thing, awesome. Right? Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview with Stephen Snook. Folks, I cannot emphasize enough how important this is for you to drop down the show notes and get in touch with Stephen and order your copy of this great Oh, scripture frames. Oh, I mean, just the name brings goosebumps to me. Praise God. This was definitely a God idea, and it is so awesome. I can't emphasize this enough. Drop down the show notes, click the links there, get in touch with Stephen, order your copy. Folks, these these scripture frames would be great gifts for just about any person you could think of. Amen. So drop down the show notes, click the link right there, order your get in touch with Stephen Shook and order your copies of Scripture Frames today. And don't forget to come back for the conclusion of this great interview in the very next episode. Till then, it's Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. 
Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.